0: Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, and I know that there are many of you that are here for your first time. Some of you here are from college spring break. Wow, that is impressive. You get brownie points for that. Um, You really do. Um, I don't know if I would have come if they didn't pay me. Um, So we are here today to celebrate Easter. Uh, What an amazing, amazing day. So happy Easter. And it is a great day to come because we are in week two of this brand new series that we've been doing called, say what? where over the next couple of weeks, we are taking a look at these, I'll describe them as kind of wild statements that Jesus would make every once in a while that would have caused the original audience to sort of scratch their head and look to the person next to them and go, I'm sorry, did he just say, well, did my man just, okay, it's one, some of those kind of conversations. And what we found out and what we will continue to learn is that it was often these say what sort of statements, moments That would go on to have the most profound impact in our lives and in the world. Um, That being the case since today is Easter, what I thought I would do today is take a look at what many would consider perhaps the most controversial thing that Jesus ever said, the most controversial thing that Jesus would ever teach, and that is this. He said, I'm going to be killed, but three days later, I'll be raised from the dead. Today, Easter Sunday, we celebrate the fact that this prediction that Jesus made about himself, that he would die, that he would be buried, that he would come back to life, really happened. It actually happened. Historically, literally, it took place. Today is all about the resurrection. It is the most important event in human history, bar none. Without it, we would have nothing. But with it, we have everything. The resurrection is, in fact, the foundation of the Christian faith, and yet many struggle with the resurrection. You know, we may hear about it, or perhaps, you know, you're reading the scripture and you get to that part, and and we just sort of have like a say what moment, right? Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know, John, look, I'm going to shoot you straight. I'm one of those people. I like the teachings of Jesus. That's all good stuff. New Testament, a lot of good stuff in there. The resurrection's a problem though, okay? It's just an an issue for me. If that's you, I am just thrilled that you're here today. Maybe you're a Christian and, and you just struggle with the resurrection part of the whole story. Or maybe you're somebody that likes the morality of Jesus, but you just can't seem to come to grips with the immortality of Jesus. If that's you and you are here today, today is a great day for you to visit this church because what I want to do for the next, you know, couple minutes or so, I want to approach Easter from a slightly different angle than we've ever done before. And what I want to do is I want to have a conversation about what it would look like if the resurrection didn't happen. And let's say you're right. Let's say the resurrection didn't happen. Maybe it was a lie. Maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe it was just a metaphor or or symbolism, whatever the case may be. What would life look like if the resurrection didn't actually occur 2021 years ago? So to begin this conversation, what I want to do is I want to take a look at a time when Jesus first introduced to, I guess we could say the world, but at least to his disciples, this idea of the resurrection. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 8, verses 27. We'll start off. And we read this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. Now on the way, he asked them, boys, let me ask a question. Who, Who do people say that I am? Now, I've said this from the stage before, but Jesus is like a good attorney, okay? He never asks a question he doesn't already know the answer to, which, by the way, if you ever find yourself on the witness stand and the attorney's asking you a question, they already know the answer. So just tell them the truth. So boys, what have you heard? You're out there, you know, you're shaking hands, kissing babies. What have you heard from the people? What are they saying about me? What have you learned? Now, Jesus already knows what they know. He can read minds and read hearts. He's asking this question only to get to a more important follow-up question. But the disciples reply. They go, all right, well, since you asked, some say that you are John the Baptist. We learned about John a couple of weeks ago. We, we learned that many folks thought that he might be the Messiah because his crowds were so huge. Others say that maybe you might be Elijah. Still others say that you might be one of the prophets. So what we see from this is that obviously at this point, there was still some confusion about who Jesus was. People don't, they don't really know. They've heard his name, but they don't really know who he is yet. Which is why Jesus asks this next more important question. He goes, all right, but what about you? Who do you say? that I am. How would you answer this question? I mean, imagine if the disciples came up to you and go, you know, we're just doing a survey here. Who who is Jesus to you? How would you describe Jesus? If you look at the pollsters, what they're saying about America, um, the, the, the vast majority of Americans, when asked this question, who is Jesus? They say he's a great teacher. They would say that he is a innovative leader, perhaps even a wise man but imagine Jesus Christ himself looking at you right in the eyes going, tell me who I am to you. Who do you think I am? Now Peter, speaking on behalf of all the disciples, he answers and he says, well, you're the Messiah. See, Peter knew that Jesus was much more than John the Baptist. He, he knew he was much more than just a great leader, much more than a great teacher. He was much more than just a, a miracle worker. Peter knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah the Son of God. Now, Jesus, seeing that his disciples knew who he was, the Messiah, he now decides that he's going to immediately begin to teach them about his messianic mission. Messiah means you know messianic from Messiah, his messianic mission. Here's what I'm going to do as the Messiah that you now have said that you believe that I am. Now, going into this, nothing would have prepared the disciples for what Jesus was a, about to tell them because he looks at them and it says that he told them he would be killed and three days later he would be raised from the dead I'm sorry say what I'm like Jesus I'm like a little windy out here and Matthew was talking it literally doesn't stop talking I could, it sounded like and I know you didn't say this but it sounded like you said that you were going to be killed and then be buried and then and then come back to life you didn't say that I thought I heard and Jesus says no that's a That's exactly what's going to happen. You know, as one of my 12 disciples, I just want you guys to know, since you've you've given up everything for me and and your life is at risk for me, I just want you to, I'm going to shoot you straight. At some point in the next three years, I'm going to be killed. They're going to bury me. And then three days later, I'm going to come back to life. Hmm. I love this next bit. Says Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, kind of like, "Good Lord Jesus, what are you doing? What the heck are you saying? You're embarrassing yourself. Stop it, okay? These guys over here they look up to you. Come on, you're teaching us top notch. Those miracles are outstanding. Let's cap the brakes on the the dying and the coming back to life business. All right? That's a like. I mean, do you really? Come on, do you really expect us to believe? That you're gonna die? I mean, you dying alone, I can't even fathom. But you dying and then coming back to life. Come on, Jesus. Peter says, "Never, Lord. This is never going to happen to you." Peter just couldn't wrap his mind. I mean, he couldn't wrap his mind around Jesus dying, the resurrection. It was just, it's all, it was all too much. And isn't this the case for so many of us? I mean, we love the teachings of Jesus. Love your neighbors yourself, love that. Don't judge others. Tattoo that on yourself, on your chest and your forearms, okay? Eat that stuff up. Resurrection, bit. mmm. It's a little too rich for my blood. Okay. I just, so what we tend to do when it comes to our faith journey is that we try to separate the life and the teachings of Jesus from his resurrection. It's like, yeah, we, we love Jesus. He's great. Sermon on the Mount. Wow. That's some good stuff. Prodigal son. Every time I hear that, I, I get, I get choked up. We like his mercy we like his compassion. We love how he treats the poor. We love how he elevates women in society. We love the turning of the other cheek bit, the going the extra mile. But I just mm, I just don't believe that he actually rose from the dead. Maybe it's made up. Maybe it's a, a misunderstanding. And so what I want to do just in my life and in my journey, I, I wanna I wanna incorporate the teachings of Jesus, you know, like the Christian part, but don't expect me to believe in a literal, physical, historical, as though it took place in a, a moment in time, resurrection. See, what I want to do is I want to I raise up the, the teachings of Jesus, but I want to leave his body in the grave. I want to raise up the example of Jesus, the, the morality of Jesus, but I, I want to leave him in that tomb. Does that sound like you? I mean, if, if it is, that's okay. Okay. If that's where you are right now, that is absolutely totally find DHC was created. It exists so that you could come and you could express your doubt with any fear of retribution. That doesn't happen at every church. That's a, you can do that here. But if that is where you are right now, we just need to have a conversation about that. We just need to sort of sort of flesh out that, that line of reasoning where we want to hold on to the teachings, but we want to let go of the resurrection. So to help in this conversation, I want to take a look at something a guy named Paul wrote. Paul, if you you don't know who Paul is, Paul wrote over half of the New Testament. So he wrote all the stuff you like other than the resurrection bit. And and so one day he was writing a letter to a group of Christians in the city called Corinth. And in this group of Christians, they, shall we say, struggled with the resurrection. It was just, they just didn't believe that it could, that it could happen. And so Paul's intention in this letter is to explain sort of, let's call it the ramifications, if you will, of what would happen if the resurrection didn't actually happen. If the resurrection didn't take place, what would it look like in our lives and in this world? And I'm just going to let you know, and you're going to see it in a few minutes, it impacts way more, way more than we could ever realize. So the conversation kicks off in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to start in verse 14. Paul says this, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then what we, and when Paul says we, he means the disciples and all the New Testament writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, the whole lot of them, then what we preach to you is worth nothing. Because if if Jesus didn't actually you know, come back from the grave. All that stuff that Matthew and Mark, Luke, John, everything we all wrote, the stuff that you like to read, it's worthless. To which we might go, no, Paul, come on. No, you're, you're being too harsh on your stuff. We we like you. we like your writings. We like your preaching. It's good. In fact, when we got married, I don't know if you know this, when we got married, we used some of your stuff at our wedding. You know that love chapter? Love is patient. Love is co- We read that. People love it. They ate it up. Somebody gave us a pillow with it. It's on our couch. I mean, no, your your stuff is great. Paul would say, well, I I'm glad you liked it. I appreciate the encouragement, but you got to understand all that love stuff, that love chapter, In fact, everything that's written in the New Testament, it's all rooted in the resurrection. The resurrection is the glue that keeps it all together. The resurrection is the foundation of everything. And so if the resurrection didn't happen, then the New Testament is worth nothing. And what's more, he would say, your faith is worth nothing a little rough, Paul. I mean, it's going to be a little rough on us. But this makes sense what he's saying. Because Paul believes, and we believe here at this church, that the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And according to Paul, if the resurrection didn't happen, then we have no foundation. But maybe you're someone who believes that the Bible is, is the foundation of your faith. But If the resurrection didn't happen, then the scriptures are worth nothing. Ipso facto, your faith is worth nothing. It's based on nothing. He continues. He says more than that, right? But wait, there's more. Okay, we, again, speaking of all the New Testament authors, we are then found to be false witnesses. That means liars. We are then found to be liars about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. Look, if there's no resurrection, he would say, then honestly, you shouldn't pay attention to anything that we say because that means that we're liars and we're the worst kinds of liars because we we lied about God. Every one of us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, the whole, we all wrote, every single one of us, we all wrote that God raised Jesus from the grave. I went so far, Paul would say, I went so far to tell you that that resurrection power is available to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so if the resurrection didn't happen, you should just, you know what you should do? Honestly, you should open up your scriptures and just start yanking out the pages that we wrote, everything we wrote. Just get rid of it, because we're liars. Do you know who actually did something very similar to this? Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson created what we now know as the Jefferson Bible. Here's the sort of the frontispiece, if you will, of the Jefferson Bible. And it says this in his handwriting. The life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth extracted textually. What does that mean? See, what we have come to learn, and we didn't know this until he died because he kept it hidden, but Thomas Jefferson actually took a Bible, and then he took a scalpel, and he sliced out surgically. He extracted every miracle of Jesus and the resurrection. He got rid of it, and he kept the life and the morality and just the teachings of Jesus. Why? He he couldn't buy into that divine stuff. He couldn't buy into the resurrection. So he kept what he liked and he ditched what he didn't. Paul would say, Tommy boy, I'm a man. You, you can't have one without the other. You, you can't separate the life and the morals and the teachings of Jesus from the resurrection of Jesus. He continues his case. He says, if Christ was not raised from the dead, your faith is worth nothing. He says it again. And this is big. You are still living in your sins. Now, this is massively important and I don't want us to miss this. And I'm, I'm going to really distill it down to like almost too simple, but it's, it's good enough for today. He, he's saying, look, if Jesus didn't actually come back from the grave, that means that you, as a Christian, have not been forgiven of your sins. That means that you are still separated from God. That means that you still owe God a debt, a debt that you cannot repay. Yeah, but Paul, hold on, wait a second, We would say. I thought, hold on, didn't Jesus die on the cross for our sins? Didn't, didn't the death thing take care of that? Didn't he give his life for ours? Yes, Paul would say, but Jesus' death on the cross is just one half of the salvation equation. See, as Christians, and maybe it's my fault because we we tend to put all of the emphasis on the cross and we forget about the importance of the empty tomb. You see, what the empty tomb does, and this is not me now oversimplifying it, but theologically, what the empty tomb does is it proves that God was satisfied with Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. The resurrection proves that Jesus was, in fact, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The resurrection does prove that Jesus was that perfect, sinless sacrifice. And if death were to hold on to Jesus, right? if he stayed dead, that means that he failed in his mission here on earth. But the resurrection, what it means is that it is a confirmation that God accepted his sacrifice, and it is a confirmation to us that we have indeed been forgiven. Then Paul makes us think about something we had not considered. And perhaps it's something we don't want to consider. So he says, Look, we're talking about the forgiveness of sins kind of a thing. Um, if we're going to say the resurrection didn't happen, well, in that case, all Christians who have died are lost. And this word lost that he used here in the, in the original Greek, the, the word that he used, it's, it's more like, he, he's in the way that it's written, it's, it's like they're just dot, 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 dead. It, it paints a word picture of like, we don't know where they are. They're lost. And I don't know about you, but that, that it's close to home for me because we've all lost people we loved, haven't we? And the only thing that, that gave us hope in that dark time, the only thing that we sort of, we, we clung to was the promise that one day you would see your loved one again in heaven. I'm doing a funeral next week for a, a couple from DHC. They, they lost their 29-year-old daughter. And, and this week when I was sitting in Panera with them, just discussing the service, the mother said to me, and, and word for word, and I've never heard this before, she goes, John, I have a goal for the funeral. My goal for this funeral is I want every single person in attendance to know that they will see my daughter again. How many of us cling to this wonderful promise Paul would step into this conversation and he would go, guys, look, I I hate to break it to you. But if the resurrection didn't literally happen, then our loved ones are lost. That wonderful promise that, 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 that was given to us that one day in the next life, in the new heavens, in the new earth, it says that God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, No sorrow, nor crying, no pain. All of that is gone forever. Folks, without the resurrection, this off the table. It's not even an option. You go back and you read this. For this to be possible, the resurrection must have happened. And so if the resurrection hadn't happened, that means that this life, with all of the death and all of the sorrow, and all the tears is, well, that's as good as it gets. Speaking of this life, Paul says, if our hope in Christ is for this life only, then we should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. Why would he say that? Why why would a Christian be pitied? See, what he's doing here, this is sort of the summation of his whole argument. This is the culmination of his argument. This is sort of the, the closing statements. He's saying how pitiful it is for a Christian. If their gospel has no substance, if their faith is meaningless, if their New Testament authors are liars, if they haven't been forgiven of their sin, and if those who have died believing in Christ are now lost. How sad. Almost jokingly to relieve the pressure a little bit. He says, if the dead are not raised, we might as well be like those who say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. I mean, if Jesus didn't actually come back from the grave, then every single thing that we do in Jesus' name is a waste of time. Loving your spouse, like Christ loved the church, waste. Uh, loving your neighbor, waste. Giving generously, should have kept your cash, okay? Uh, volunteering at church, come on, biggest waste of all, should have stayed at home. He's like, we might as well eat and drink and just live it up. Because nothing matters, nothing matters if Christ were not raised from the dead. But, and I've been waiting all morning for this but. Today is all about this but. Lives have been changed because of this but. Sins have been forgiven because of this but. Death has been arrested because of this but. And DHC exists because of this but. The Greek word that Paul uses right here for this but, he it, it, it paints a picture where he says it's, it's almost like everything up until this point, all of the, the dark consequences that I have painted as though if the resurrection didn't happen, you can dismiss all of that. You can forget. All of that because Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The good news is, if you're here today, you don't need to spend the rest of your life with the separation between the cross and the resurrection. You don't have to have a faith that that is shaky. You don't have to cling to the teachings of Jesus, but only sort of trepidatiously, if you will, put your weight on the resurrection. Paul would say, We can. We should and we must place all of our weight firmly on to that empty tomb because it is out of that tomb that we get everything. It is that empty tomb. It is the reason why you can believe. It is the reason why you can follow. It is the reason why you can serve. It is the reason why you can hope. Paul says, I passed on to you what was most Important that Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and on the third day, and and how do we know it was on the third day? How do we know he was actually raised from the dead? How do we know this wasn't a lie? How do we know it wasn't a misunderstanding? How do we know it wasn't a metaphor? How do we know it wasn't just his spirit that came out of that grave? We know because he was seen with eyeballs by, the, by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more eyeballs, by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have died, but they're not lost and we're gonna see them again. He says, then he was seen by James, that's the brother of Jesus, and later by all the apostles, and last of all, though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Paul saying, look guys, I understand that the resurrection is a big pill to swallow. I get it, I understand that it's difficult to grasp. I understand that you didn't see it. I understand it's difficult to believe things that you didn't see and that we no longer see. I'm just letting you know. I'm just letting you know that Jesus actually, physically, and literally rose from the grave. And if you want more proof, all you got to do is go to Jerusalem and ask these people, I'll give you their addresses. I'll give you their names. I'll buy you the train ticket. And you can look at them in the eye and they will tell you with joy in their hearts that Christ has come back to life and we saw him. You know what that means for you if you're a Christian? Do you know what what this means for you? You know what Easter means for us? It means that your hope was not in vain. Are those prayers you made they're not in vain. Those tears that you shed were not in vain. Your love for others was not in vain. Sacrifices you've made, they're not in vain. The conviction in your heart is not in vain. Your service to others and and God was not in vain. And most importantly, your worship was not in vain because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And that's why we are here today. It is the foundation of our faith. Like I said, without it, we really have nothing. But because of it, we have everything. Paul says, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. It's because of that empty tomb 2,021 years ago that we have been blessed with new life in Christ. It's because of that empty tomb that we have been forgiven of our sins. It is because of that empty tomb that we have been released from our past and given a bright future. And it is because of the resurrection that we have been set free from the sting of sin and death. That is what the resurrection means to us. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? Every single week, if it's your first time here at this church, we put this word on the screen because we wanna make sure you can leave on a Sunday and just know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So as we kind of bring this to a close, I wanna talk to two different groups in the room. Um, If you are here today and you're not a Christian because there are things about Christianity that you just sort of take issue with. I get it. I get that. But let me just say this Your issue isn't that you worked for a Christian who, who, who was a jerk. That's not your issue. Although I think you might think that is. That's not your issue. Your issue is not what happened to the dinosaurs. Your issue is not, is the Bible all true? Your issue is not how old is the earth. Your issue is not, is Noah's Ark real or were were Adam and Eve actual real? Those are not your issues. The only thing that you need to wrestle with for the rest of your life, the only issue that you need to consider for the rest of your life is this. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Because if he didn't, then folks, it's game over for Christianity. But if he did, that changes everything. That changes everything for you. It means that you can go home tonight and talk to God as your heavenly father. It means that there is more to this life than just this life. It means those stories that your grandparents told you, those stories can be taken seriously. It means your parents' faith, as flawed as they may have been as individuals, was real and genuine. It means that you can be forgiven. It means that God loves you unconditionally. So as you consider faith, as you consider Christianity, just know it begins and it ends with the resurrection. For those of you who are here today, and I know there are quite a few, for those of you who are here today who have put full faith into the resurrection, I just have one question for you. Are you living a resurrected life? See, Jesus said that he came so that we may have life and have it to the fullest. Are we living that way? Like Living the resurrected life is, is seeing every single day as a, a miracle from God to be lived to the fullest. Are you doing that? It's an opportunity to allow our life, our attitudes, our outlook to glorify God. You doing that? It's an opportunity to serve others, love others, and forgive others. And I hope you're doing that. A resurrected life isn't bound by shame or regret or fear. Because all of that was left in that tomb. See, when Jesus died on that cross and and rose from that grave, he declared victory. He declared victory over sin and death. And we, as his followers, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, you get the honor and the privilege of living victoriously. That's what Easter is all about. Let me pray for you. Dearly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that we could come together to celebrate the greatest event in human history, the event that everything is based on, rooted in, and founded in. God, I thank you that you sent your son to this world. I thank you for his sacrifice on that cross, and I thank you for the confirmation of the empty tomb to know that we have been forgiven. That we have been made right with you, that we have been given a new life, Lord. If there are folks with us today who just who are not there yet, who perhaps struggle with your son, whether his he even exists or with the resurrection, I pray that today at some level they would have a, have a moment with you, where they might perhaps for the very first time in their life know your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But God, I just want to take this moment to thank you publicly for what you've done in my life. For without you, I would be nothing. But Lord, because of that empty tomb, every single one of us knows that we have everything because of that. And that's why we're here today. Thank you, Jesus. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.